Hi, this is Michael Crystal, International President, Phi Beta Sigma. Really enjoyed being in Dave's head tonight, and hopefully you'll tune in to the segment. Great conversation, uh, certainly not just on the fraternity. Talk about career, talk about family, certainly talk about Phi Beta Sigma, but my hope is, as you're listening in, maybe there's some nuggets that might resonate with you as well. So please tune in. What's up? Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are and however we're together. Thank you for being here. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? First, I want to talk about this issue real quick. And it's been bugging me for a while, and I've been trying to figure out a way to, to verbalize my frustration with it. And it's CRT, critical race theory. So if you're unaware what CRT is, it's an academic concept that's more than 40 years old. Like if you didn't know that it was 40 years old, the way the media, certain media is portraying it, you would think this was something sparked in the last six months, trying to take over the world, trying to take over the country, trying to take over your child, indoctrinate, blah, blah, blah. It's 40 years old. This has been out for 40 years. The core idea is that race is a social construct, right? And that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. A good example of CRT or the product of it, or not the product of it, but a good example that's going to be used in CRT, right? And talked about in CRT is what the government did in the 1930s. So they drew lines around areas deemed poor financial risk often explicitly due to racial composition, to be real, of the people who live there. And banks then decided to not offer mortgages to those people in those areas. Those people happen to be black people. That's something that could be taught with CRT. It's not saying that everyone's racist. It's not saying that white people are racist. It's talking about physical and factual, verifiable history about what this country has done, what a certain segment of people have gone through. It's it's one of those misnomers, right? It's one of those things where if you support a liberal or conservative ideology, you seem to be on two sides of this fence. Critical race theory to me is telling the truth. Some people really have a problem talking about the truth. Just because I tell you one time you screwed up doesn't mean I'm saying you're a bad person. But I'm telling you back then, you fucked up. And that's all it's about. Critical race theory simply dives into how race has played a role in this country for a long time and continues to. Still, I should say. And if you think about it, it's not that saying that things are as bad as they were in the 1930s. It's saying the product of the actions taken in the 1930s have and continue to have an impact on a certain race of people. These are things that are undeniable fact, if you're open-minded and interested in facts. Look at Common Core. So people objected to Common Core, right? 
people object to critical race theory. But here's, let me give you the, the two ends of this, right? And so the first is this. Some people objected to the standards, the stepped up focus on nonfiction reading. For those not familiar, nonfiction means facts. Saying it would downgrade the place of good literature in the classroom. By telling the truth and talking about factual things, it's going to downgrade literature. How is that possible? I think students and parents are educated enough to know the difference between fact and fantasy. I would hope so. And so by me telling you more facts, it doesn't mean the fiction, the fairy tales become less relevant. The stories, the motivation behind those things don't become less relevant or less entertaining, less informational. That's like saying, if I tell you the truth too much, the lies I tell or the stories I make up, eh, they'll lose their muster. No, you can still lie your ass off and still be telling the truth sometimes. Other people said that the standards harp too much on cold readings, cold readings of complex texts without any background preparation. Now, this is talking about Common Core. The interesting thing is complex texts without any background preparation. What do you think facts in history are? It's background context, background preparation. So people don't want Common Core. And now they don't want CRT. Now, I have my general problems with Common Core. I really do. I grew up in a certain type of math. I did advanced math. I was a physics and math double major at one point in my college career. And so I have a great understanding of math and sciences. I was a nerd. It is what it is. But the argument that it doesn't prepare you properly, it degrades other things because there's too much fact being talked about is nonsense. It's ludicrous. It doesn't pass the eye test, the smell test, the, the punch test, none of that stuff. It doesn't pass the common sense test. And so you have to turn yourself around and say, okay, what is the real motive beyond being against critical race theory? It's that it feeds a narrative. And so if you make CRT really, really bad, the people who support your ideology subscribe to that ideology or simply just want a certain, there's a certain segment of the people in this country who want their country back. Whatever that means. And so if you have a problem with CRT and people who are like you or support your ideology feed into that. Well, it doesn't matter what the reason is why you don't like it. The simple fact that you are vocal enough and don't like it is enough for them to eat it up. Because facts and logic and reason. Truth doesn't really matter in this argument. It's like the kids you didn't like in school. And so you just talk bad about them. Not because he was a bad person. And not that he actually did anything to you. You just didn't like him. And so you wanted to make all the people who were cool with you, the friends of yours, you wanted to make them like that person too. It didn't make sense. wasn't logical. wasn't rooted in facts. You just didn't like them. You felt threatened by this person. Like the new kid that came from Long Beach, California somewhere. And now he's, you know, the girl's at googly eye him. Now you don't have that rep anymore. You don't have that draw anymore. And so you want to demonize him because he's pulling your shine. It's the same amount of idiocy and lunacy. CRT is just simply talking about facts. It's not saying you are a bad person. It's not saying your parents were a bad person. It's saying the history of this country has some potholes in it. That road wasn't all smooth. 
and we could talk about it. The ironic thing, though, is the same people who don't want to talk about CRT are fighting tooth and nail to keep monuments up. How does that work? It, it really doesn't. So the next thing I want to talk to you really quick about is what I, what I call and I want to title preparing for the possibilities is the same as not trusting yourself. And so you can look this up. You can Google it. Look up the five most stressful life events. I heard about this long, long time ago, and it's really, really true. The five most stressful life events are one, death of a loved one, two, divorce. I know that one for a fact. Three, moving. Yeah, I'm familiar with that one too. Major illness or injury. And job loss. And I would say job loss slash job change. But those are the five most stressful life events. And so as a Capricorn, that's what I am going to talk about Capricorns all day because no Capricorns rule. As a Capricorn, we tend to plan out the scenarios in our head to prepare for disappointment. And also prepare for positive things happening, but we, we like to prepare for the full circle. All 360 degrees of possibilities. And so we prepare for the negative, for the disaster, for the disappointment, for the hurt, for the pain, for the change, for death, for divorce, for moving, for illness, for job loss and job change. We prepare for those things, whether they're likelihood to happen or not. The problem with that is that constantly bracing yourself, constantly preparing for the downfall, constantly preparing for someone to disappoint you can become pretty synonymous with not trusting yourself to handle life's difficulties. We have to trust in our strength. We have to trust in our resolve and our ability to solve problems and would like to say level up. And by constantly preparing yourself for failure, downfall, pain, loss, unintended or undesirable change, it stunts our ability to handle those things and deal with those things in a mature educational value or mindset. So think about this. If you say to yourself, this, today might be a, a sucky day. Today just might suck when you wake up in the morning. Your day is not going to be as good or happy as it could be because you're anticipating something happening. Just think about this in your daily lives. You wake up, you look at your work calendar. You're like, oh, I got this meeting with uh The time up to that meeting, you're just bracing for it and bracing for it. And it doesn't matter if that meeting really does suck or if it goes unexpectedly well. Your whole mood is drained going into that meeting. And let's say that meeting goes well and nothing negative happened from it at all. Now you're kind of building yourself back up. You're surprised that it's good. Instead of, here's a meeting. I got a plan. I'm going to go into it. If it works, cool. If it doesn't, I'll adjust. I'll handle it. And that's a big difference for how your day leading up to that meeting will go. The same thing in relationships. And listen, I say this and in, in, in represent Capricorns because I do this myself. I struggle with preparing for that 360, preparing for every single possibility that could be in the spectrum, in the universe. I prepare for it. Now I've gotten better over time, but I prepare for death of loved ones. I prepare in case divorce happened with my prior marriage. I prepare for moving, relocation. I prepare for inevitably I'm going to get older. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to think, you know, bumping my elbow or banging my knee or stumping my toe where I used to just blow it off and you know, I had a little scratch or whatever. I might break something as I get older. 
I may wake up tomorrow with no job. I may wake up and change jobs. That's happened before too. I just woke up and like changed jobs. But dead serious, that's happened before. But I struggle with preparing or bracing myself constantly for disappointment, hurt, pain. And I've gotten better by simply saying, what if it just works out? Just see what happens. Handling things in a different way, in a different light, so that going into a situation, I'm not this low. I'm not sitting down here, but I'm already up here. And maybe it brings me down a little bit, but I'm stronger because I wasn't so low. Just think about that. The last thing I want to touch on really quickly. This past week before I'm recording this, we lost a legend. The Harlem-born legend famously known for his beatboxing and his hits like Just a Friend. Biz Markey passed away. He died on July 16th at the young age of 57. The young age of 57. And I reflected. I actually was out on my deck. I was I had wine. I was, you know, I finally was relaxing because I had a long week last week. Um, very busy week, very productive week, but very long week. And so I had some time to sit on my deck, listen to some music, and then I got the alert on my phone. And the last couple of weeks, you know, there'd been speculation he'd pass, he didn't pass, family had to come out with a statement he's still alive, that type of stuff. But it just struck me that all of my childhood greats, the last five, ten years, even more than that, but my childhood greats are fading and leaving us. And Big Daddy Kane, who was Biz Markie's childhood friend, had a very nice, touching video tribute he posted. I saw it on Instagram, but he might have posted it other places as well. But one thing I said when I saw the news was that and it's something I always believe. I, I said it when Whitney died. I said it when MJ died. I said it when Prince died. I even said it when Luther died way back then. I've been saying this for a long time, that legends never die. They just, they just never die. Legends live on forever. There will be a party somewhere and just a friend will come on and we'll reminisce about something we did back in the day when this song came on. Or a girl that literally was a theme for this song. That type of, well, for me, girl, maybe you guy, whatever. But there'll be reminiscing moments based on just that song. Or based on maybe saying I'm in MIB, um, Men in Black, for those that don't know what MIB means, because he had a cameo there. Um, you know, just, just seeing him over time. Just like Bodyguard has been running on cable for, I think, like a month and a half. I swear, every time I turn on the TV, Bodyguard is in the guide as a movie that's on right now. Um which is every time I see Whitney Houston in that movie, it takes me back to remembering growing up and my mother blasting Whitney in the house or my sister blasting Whitney in the house. So legends never die, even though physically they do. And so Biz Markie, like I said on Friday, more than just a friend, a childhood influence and memory maker in my childhood. So rest peacefully. We'll be right back after this. Simple solutions for complex problems. For 15 years, the mantra has been the practice of SRE solutions, providing business intelligence, application and website design, and PC repair services for clients. SRE solutions has a simple solution for your problem, regardless of the complexity. Contact SRE Solutions at www. 
www.sresolutions.org and get your problem resolved today. All right, so welcome back. So if you follow my podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm really passionate about giving back and paying it forward. And one thing about giving back is it's a sacrifice. You're donating your talent, your time, your treasure, and the rewards of doing so, especially with me when I, I give my time to the youth a lot, seeing them progress through time and see them become mature men, because usually I, I, I give back time to uh, young boys, but um, seeing them really grow into something special is an amazing reward for donating your time, talent, and treasure. Doing what you love a lot of times is a sacrifice. And so I've, I've had my shirt on right now. I've, I've big up Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated all the time. And so you know that's a big part of my life. And so I'm extremely happy. And the reason I'm talking about this is I'm extremely happy to have my guest for this episode, the Honorable Brother Michael E. Crystal. And so a little bit about him. He's a husband, father. He's vice president of operations for Kroger, who happens to be the second largest retailer in the United States. He's the 35th international president of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And lastly, he's very, and I say very in bold, all caps and underline, very proud graduate of Mississippi State University. So with that said, Honorable Brother Crystal, how's it going? Hey, hey, it's going great, buddy. Uh, about two and a half weeks left in office. Uh, a lot of planning for Conclave, a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts at work, a lot of traveling going on. So kind of juggling about three or four different balls. But I tell you, David, I'm having the ball of my life. Uh, you've told this kid from Grenada, Mississippi, uh, back in 1982, that you'd grow up and be international president of 580 Sigma at the same time, serving as vice president of a Fortune 17 company. Um, and living in bi living a bi-coastal life, I'd say you're losing your mind. Uh, so excited to be here with you this evening, excited to be with your audience and looking forward to engaging with you. Thank you. And, and I'm, uh, you said two and a half weeks. It almost sounds like you're counting down. Well, I am. That's the truth. <laughs> Anytime you're planning a big event, you better be counting down. <laughs> yes, but I'm not yeah. counting down because I'm excited about leaving. If that's what you're hearing, no, no, no. Uh, having a ball, man. But... But certainly recognize uh, we got to hit that gavel at uh, one o'clock on Thursday, and we need to be prepared to hit that gavel on one o'clock on Thursday. Got you. So before we get into the questions, I like to have my guests, and I know I gave you a little introduction, but I like to have my guests introduce themselves in their own words. So if you could take a moment, tell the audience who you are, what you do, and what you're about. Yeah. So um, born and raised in Grenada, Mississippi, about 95 miles south of uh, Memphis. Uh, a little small town, uh, as you said, uh, proud alumnus of Mississippi State University. I uh, had a chance to major in marketing there, and as I uh, was pursuing my degree, um, some brothers from 580 Sigma kind of knocked on my roommate's door and mine, uh, talked to us about the fraternity. I went to school, David, I didn't know anything about fraternity. Uh, that subject was not uh, prevalent in uh, my hometown. Uh, no chapters or no alumni chapters were in that city from uh, any of the D9. And so I joined the fraternity, um, Alton became president of the fraternity, and I'll never forget this. Um, all I ever wanted to do was make a difference in my chapter. And I tried to learn uh, what I was, I tried to utilize, excuse me, what I was learning in my uh, studies uh, to apply to the fraternity uh, with the intent of making the chapter better. 
Uh, when I finished school, I um, had a chance to start working for Kroger. I've uh, been with Kroger 35 years, uh, service vice president of operations, lead a team of 22,000 employees, uh, about a $7 billion operation that we're blessed to uh, be responsible for. And I've been married 35 years, uh, met my wife uh, in college freshman year. We started dating uh, my, during the spring semester. She's been on this Sigma journey with me almost since inception. Uh, we've been blessed to have three uh, children. I have a 29-year-old daughter, a 25-year-old son, who's also a member of the fraternity. And we have a 14-year-old son, and uh, I call him uh, our oops baby. My wife calls him <laughs> our Jamaican baby. Uh, okay. Uh, Jalen has uh, special needs, but I tell you, you're not going to meet a young man who's uh, not more engaging, more loving, uh, more uh, loved uh, by his mom and dad. And so very blessed to have had the support of Marty, very blessed to have the support of my family. And uh, I tell you, uh, really enjoying life, uh, really enjoy life. Uh, we might talk about this, and I'll, I'll say this and give it back to you. Uh, 35 years with Kroger. Uh, I go to bed every night, David, excited about going to work in the morning. Uh, and that's with 35 years. So uh, things are good. No complaints over here. Gotcha. And speaking about uh, special needs, I actually had the opportunity to go see my godson uh, this weekend, about an hour and a half away from me. And he's uh, nonverbal autistic. But speaking about, you know, that he's not loved more and, and cherished more. And he's come a very, very long way um, for, you know, everything he's been through. And it's ama it was amazing to see, you know, spend time with him. But yeah. So I definitely understand that. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So let's get into some Q&A. And so during my intro and, and you just talked about it, you wear many hats, husband, father, vice president, international president, and probably more than that. What's the hardest hat you wear and what's the most rewarding hat you wear? You know, I'd probably say the hardest hat I wear is just juggling uh, between being international president and vice president of Kroger. And, and I'll speak to hard, but I also speak to solution as well. Um, I'm a huge proponent, David, of delegating. A huge proponent, because I believe when you're leading at such a high level, uh, you gotta make sure you got a great team, you gotta be able to empower people, you gotta be able to give people resources, and then you gotta be able to do what we all say we want, sometimes we really want it and that is get the hell out of people way and let them do their job and so um that's how i lead that's how i lead in the fraternity that's how i lead at kroger and 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 so when i say it's hard is it's very demanding and i'm very hard on myself what does that mean uh, i want us to be the best that we possibly can be i love your intro when you say kroger's number two uh, we would say we're number one as far as traditional supermarket, but we respect what you said, which is Walmart is number one. And so Walmart constantly challenges us to be the best because they've only been in the grocery business about uh, 25 years. I know it's less than 30. And, and yet they're number one and they've been number one in grocery almost after that fifth or sixth year when they were in the business. And so Kroger has a culture of being the best. And that's the way I've been trained. And Five Eight Sigma, which you and I both love, we believe we're the best as well. So, if you're operating on that type of a mindset, then you got to challenge yourself to always step up. And so, you got to have the right team of people around you. Uh, and so, you got that level of demand. 
that can be pretty intense, to be very honest with you. Um, what would I say my most rewarding? Uh, being a father. Uh, I never met my father. If he was to walk in the door right now, he'd have to pause and say, hey, Michael, uh, I'm your dad. I never met him, never had that experience. And I always remember when I was a kid growing up and when I became a, somewhat of a young man in college, when you're kind of starting to think about future in life, I always said if I was blessed to be married, my hope is that I could have children. And if I was blessed to have children, uh, here's what I would love to see that experience uh, to be for them. And I've worked exceptionally hard to provide that. And so there's nothing more exciting to me than to get on the phone with my daughter and have some extensive conversation with her about any and everything. Uh, if you've seen me at a conference uh, and Brandon is with me, you've seen me and him just kind of hanging out, laughing and talking. And the same thing with my youngest son, Jalen. And so uh, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And so those would be my answers. The hardest is really balancing being vice president and international president at the same time. Uh, but then also the most rewarding is uh, being a father to my three beautiful children. Gotcha. And to hopefully avoid any type of trouble, I'm, I'm going to say for you that a close second is probably being a husband, right? As far as no most question, rewarding. No question. But in order, to be a, in, in order to be a father to me, in the context of the way we're talking about it, mm -hmm. I, I've got to be a husband. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so talk about culture for service and service for humanity. You know, as a community advocate, as a man, as a Sigma man, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so, you know, when you think about culture, that's really kind of defining, uh, it's kind of what your beliefs are, kind of defining what your expectations are, uh, kind of defining on uh, how you see uh, organizations in life, right? And so I think our founders kind of had it right. Culture for service. You know, what am I bringing to make uh, this community better? What am I bringing? Uh, am I bringing all of Michael? That's my talent, my gifts, my resources. Uh, and how am I making that come to life? Culture for service. Now, service for humanity. I have a responsibility to make this life a little bit better because of the culture that's within Michael, right? And so when I think about what that means to me, I think I got to own that. I got to have a level of responsibility for it, but I also got to make sure that I'm making it a little bit better than how I found it. To whom much is given, David, I believe much is required. We're very blessed people. Phi Beta Sigma men are college-educated professional men. Today, 2021, that's still an exception. And so if all of that is true, then what is Michael and David doing, or what are Michael and David doing to make the life experience better for the community that we're residing in, comma, and servicing as well? And so the vision we had for the fraternity was a brotherhood of conscious men. Brotherhood. How are we lifting up one another? How are we celebrating one another? Conscious. Who are we? What is our culture? What, what is our core? And so if we're a brotherhood of conscious men, then I believe then and only then are we prepared to service the community. Culture for service, service for humanity. That's what it means to me. And, and piggybacking off that, so what is your vision for Phi Beta Sigma's role in this nation, in this world? You know, Phi Beta Sigma is an international fraternity. 
towards making this a better, more sustainable place? What's your vision of that? Yeah, so think about our history. 1914 is when we were founded. College-educated young men. So often when we think about our fraternity and we think about our history, you know, we look and we see these very nostalgic, uh, very iconic pictures of A. Langston Taylor. Uh, and in many cases, we see him as this very mature man uh, with his very nice uh, overcoat, very nice suit. Uh, but we forget when he was walking on Howard's campus, he was about 19, 20 years old. And he was thinking about your question. What does a group of college-educated men, what role should they play in making this world a better place? And so look at our history. It was 10 years later in 1924 that Phi Beta Sigma said, we're going to support African-American businesses. Our first national program was Bigger and Better Business. And then if you look just the next, next year later, it was 1925. At a conclave, we invited African-American businesses to come to our convention. I don't think they were called conclaves at that time. Come to our convention to showcase their uh, businesses so that we could celebrate them and promote them. And so we don't have to go far to stay with your question. It was within our origin. Five Eight Sigma recognized culture for service, service for humanity. We have a responsibility to not just make the community better, but lead the act. A. Philip Randolph, we talked so much about the March on Washington. It was a Sigma man who organized that. Uh, when you think about uh, Phi Beta Sigma today and all the social unrest that happened on last year, Phi Beta Sigma was very active, engaged with that, within AACP, with the National Urban League, and with our own. Enough is enough. That's what this fraternity said. And so I think we have a responsibility to lift up one another, I think we have a responsibility to provide mentorship. Probably if you were to ask me, what was the proudest thing you had uh, delivered as president? I'd say when we came into office, David, we were mentoring a little less than a thousand uh, single beta club members. When we walk off of that stage for the last time as international president of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity, we will be mentoring over 4,200 boys and young men of color. That's like nine, 10 year old kids that we are blessed to be a part of their life to provide mentorship, showmanship, insights on career, academics, cultural experiences. Their life will be different because of Phi Beta Sigma Man. And so when you think about all of that, I think we have a responsibility to provide that. I think we're doing that. I think it's something of a 107-year-old college-based organization can deliver and be proud of. And I think we've done a marvelous job on it. And it started, in my mind, back when a. Langston Taylor had this infinite idea of saying, three organizations are out there doing this, but I believe we can do it better. And I believe we can do it better because our focus is not going to be on us. Our focus is going to be on the community. And that's what separates Five Eight Sigma from the rest of the pack. Gotcha. And I, I want to I piggyback this. I was going to ask this later, but I'm going to ask it now. So... You talked about Sigma Beta Club as, as probably your proudest from your tenure. As your tenure concludes in a few weeks, what do you see as your legacy and what foundation have you constructed um, that can be built on beyond your presidency? Great question. Uh, foundation. You know, I call it legacy leadership, right? 
Um, because I believe if, uh, if you're blessed to lead wherever you lead, in your home, in your club, uh, in your profession, wherever, I tend to believe it should be a little bit better than how you found it. That should be the measuring stick. It should be a little bit better than how you found it. Uh, I'm reminded of Devon Henry. Devon Henry, is uh, you're in the East, so he's your immediate past Eastern Regional Director. As a matter of fact, you served as Chief of Staff, right? Uh, Deputy right. Chief of Staff, yep. Deputy Chief of Staff. Uh, but I remember when I was blessed to get elected and I took the regional directors out for dinner on that Thursday. And he asked me the very question that you're asking me. He asked me that four years ago. He says, what do you think your legacy is going to be? Uh, I've been around the fraternity a very long time, served on the board 20 plus years, really grown up in the fraternity. What I've worked on aggressively is the infrastructure of the organization really making sure that we, we're standing ourselves up for success in the future. And so when you hear me talk about the Beta Club and the relevancy of it, the Beta Club has been around since 1950. <laughs> That's 70-plus years ago. Uh, but today we're saying we're proud of 4,200, and we are. But how do we accelerate that? Uh, when you think about the finances of our fraternity, we've done a, an amazing job of securing the financial future of the fraternity. When you think about our international headquarters, this administration, through the support of the board, we voted to tear down our existing uh, headquarters and to not just build a corporate office, but to build a corporate office with affordable housing. And so we're going to be a, a great corporate citizen within the uh, community that we reside. But more importantly, it's also going to add an additional revenue stream for the organization. Uh, you talked about having a chance to uh, really uh, provide sustainability for the community. And what does that look like from a fraternity? Phi Beta Sigma launched Sigma Pack 1914. As an organization, we can't endorse candidates. We can't provide financing to candidates. But now we have an entity that creates an opportunity for us to support candidates whose values are in alignment with ours. And it creates an opportunity for us to recruit brothers who might have an interest in running for local uh, office, whether it be city council, mayor, state representative, state offices, United States Congress, and the ultimate, uh, the presidency. And so when you think about the things that we've been working on, I say, and I said it to the regions when I was going around, I put a picture of a two-year-old kid. And this two-year-old kid was the grandson of one of our uh, national DSC members. And for your audience, that's the highest honor you can get in Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. The things we're doing is focusing on that two-year-old grandson of that DSC member. When he joined this fraternity, his experience is gonna be because of the things we're doing today. And I believe it's gonna be a better experience for him. So that's what we've done. That's what we've worked on. And that's what we're pretty proud of. Gotcha. So I'm gonna shift to something kind of the opposite of that. So. Talk about your hardest day as international president and how did you continue to stay true to your mission and your goals despite it being it? Wow, you, you're gonna either gonna laugh at me or you're gonna curse <laughs> me off. Uh, to me, your, answer, your question is where the answer lies. And that is, I believe you gotta have values in leadership. I think you have to have principles in leadership. And I think when you have values and principles, those things are what get you through those hard days. And, and so I could rattle off two of them that really 
tested my leadership within the fraternity. It tested, um, it tested the values of the fraternity. And we, as an organization, kind of had to go through it. And I'll, I won't get into the details, but I will tell you it was a, a situation we had to deal with in relationship to our Sigma Beta Club. And it kind of came early in my tenure as president. And I remember we approached it the same way I approach uh, crisis management at work. You bring a team together, you assess the situation, you stay true to your principles, you stay true to your values. And leaders have to make tough decisions. I've been making tough decisions long before I became international president. And I applied all of those. Uh, we had to go through some turbulent times, but what was most exciting is when we got through those turbulent times, it was very clear to most, if not all, the right decision had been made. But that was by far probably one of my toughest ones. And you never know when those tough decisions are going to show up. They just kind of show up. Uh, but I really believe, as you uh, broached your question, and you got to have some values and you got to have some principles. If not, you're just going to be bouncing all over the place. You're going to try to answer what, what you think a certain constituency would want you to say, and, and it's just not going to work. At least to me, it's not. So so last question for the Q&A. You might have known what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I knew exactly what you were talking about. But um, uh, last question for the Q&A. So, and, and this is as president and general, as far as the span of your life, if you could change one thing about the path you've walked in this life, what would you change? And what do you believe the impact of that change would be? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, David, um, if you had told this 10 year old kid, grew up in the projects in Grenada, Mississippi, single parent household. I said early in this conversation, never met my father uh, to a large degree, grew up around very strong women, but no real strong male uh, figure in the household. Um, blessed to be a Boy Scout, so I kind of had that reflection from my Scoutmaster. Uh, blessed to have a Mr. Buckman from uh, Good Times, if you remember the Good Times show. Mm -hmm. yep. That was a Mr. Green in the project, so had a relationship with Mr. Green. So when I think about male figures, those were my two. Uh, so if you'd have told this kid who grew up in this environment I just described to you that I grew up and become vice president of a Fortune 17 company leading a team, as I described, I'm blessed to become international president of a 107-year-old, well-respected organization who built this whole reputation on uh, being associated with college-educated professional men. You say, man, uh, that life sounds pretty good. I go, yeah, I, it's been really good. But if I stay true to your question, you go, well, what would you have done differently? I've always said, if I hadn't have majored in marketing, I think I would have uh, majored in political science. I would have gone off to law school and I would have became a lawyer. Hmm. Uh, I love uh, the thought of driving sustainable change through the process. And that's why a lot of people, they want to rebuild things and tear them down. But, you know, the good lawyers take the law and make the law deliver the way it's supposed to deliver. And with that brings passion. If anybody know me personally, they know I'm a sucker for a good debate. I'm a sucker for a good conversation. I know how to use words to my benefit. I know how to use words 
to maximize the point. And so if I probably had to do all over again, I probably would have uh, bypassed that college and business on Mississippi State's campus and probably went over there to that political science building and uh, probably uh, studied that and ultimately became a lawyer. Uh, but again, as I answered at the beginning, love what I do, love my career, love the opportunities that's provided for me. Uh, but if I stay true to your question, I might have went to law school. Gotcha. I didn't see that coming, but yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of the Q&A. So now we're going to move on to the last segment, which I call First Thoughts. So for my audience out there that's listening to this episode, if you haven't heard this before, you tune in for the first time. As I like to say, shame on you, but I'm happy you're here. The way First <laughs> Thoughts work, I propose a, a word or a phrase to my guests. They're not privy to this. I don't share with them. The idea is what's your first thought. So, Brother Crystal, are you ready? I'm as ready as they're going to come. All right. So you, you touched on this earlier, but I kind of want to see, you know, kind of spur the moment what your thought is going to be. If I say a brotherhood of conscious men, what's your first thought? Uh, the Crystal Presidency. All right. And you can feel free to elaborate a little bit if you want to. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the next. I usually like to start with a softball one anyway, so that's fine. Uh, so the next one, uh, Brother John Lewis, what's your first thought? Wow. American hero, civil rights icon, Sigma giant, but just a good person. Gotcha. Um, so next first thought, if I say taking a break to you, <laughs> what's your first thought? <laughs> uh, that's something I probably should do more of. <laughs> I get that from my wife quite often. Mm-hmm. You're yeah, I get that from. Yeah, I get that from just about everybody that knows me. I need to take more breaks, yeah, but uh, break. uh, but yeah. I will tell you this, David. You you touched on it at the beginning, um, and you were kind of pressing me a little bit, like, hey, you know, finally count down. Uh, when we were talking about it, yeah, two and a half more weeks. Uh, here's the truth. I've not had a real vacation in probably twenty plus years. Uh, because I've been intimately involved in this fraternity. And so when I'm on vacation from Kroger, I'm usually, well, not usually, it's the truth. I'm at something for five eight to Sigma. Hmm. And so when you think about a vacation, that's just going off to Greece and just chilling with you and your wife and your family. I haven't done that in, I know, 20 plus years. So I'm looking forward to taking a break. I'm looking forward to relaxing. I'm looking forward to just enjoying life, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. the way most people probably, because I've been, I told someone the other day, when I uh, come out of office, I will not be involved in the day-to-day -day operation of this fraternity in about 20 some years, maybe even longer, but from collegiate chapter president all the way up until now, I've been involved in the fraternity. And so I'm kind of looking forward to that, not in a negative sense, uh, but looking forward to kind of enjoying life some. Mm -hmm. Uh, very understandable. Kids. Tell my wife and kids, you guys are responsible for setting up vacation. Let's tell me where we're going. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good way to live. Yeah. All right. So next first thought, uh, policing and serving the community. What's your first thought? You said policing? Yes. Yeah, I, I think uh, that language around community policing was relevant in the, I think it was in the mid-90s, and I think it still has some relevancy today. Um I certainly do not believe the concept on the language of defund the police. I, I get the spirit of what that means, uh, but being a marketing guy and engaging with people, you got to understand what people are going to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
I think policing has to be in alignment with uh, the community and the community has to play a role in providing that level of support. And I think 580 Sigma has done some work in that space. Last year during all the social unrest, we had a, a forum called Real Reform, People, Policy and Policing, where we had three chiefs of police, LA, big city, mm-hmm. uh, Plano, Texas, medium-sized city, Starkville, Mississippi, small-sized city, as well as the president of NAACP, uh, Chris Ray, our vice president, was on there, and others were on there. Uh, and we yeah. didn't just talk about the issue. We uh, addressed some of the solutions as well. Yeah, I actually uh, gave a testimony about an incident I had when I was a teen. Yeah, I was still a teen. Uh, back in the 90s with police, I actually opened up that segment, um, or that yeah. session, I have to say. Yes, that's right. You sure were. You were there. I came on a little bit late. Uh, and I believe in balance too. I had a mm-hmm. uh, corporate responsibility that evening and I came on late, but they told me you did a great job uh, uh, telling that story and setting the stage for it. Yeah, appreciate that. All right, so next to last first thought, um, family. What's your first thought? Yeah, um, everything, everything. Uh, I share with you, my wife and I, we've been together. We've actually been together 39 years. We dated five years before we got married. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. When I go home, um, we're going to be down in the lower level uh, watching movies. That's going to be Brandon, myself, and Jalen. We enjoy each other's company. Uh, It's fun. I love your statement. You say, life should be fun. That's your phrase. Mm -hmm. And life should be fun. Uh, We have a lot of fun together. We're pretty simple people. Uh, But I'm big on family. Biggest thing is, I had a great mother, strong-willed mom, didn't have a father. And so we've been working very hard to provide that nucleus family. And uh, we think we've created that. Uh, So yeah, it's everything. It's everything. Gotcha, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. So last first thought, if I say one big impact you have yet to make in life, what's your first thought? Writing a book. I think one's yep. in me. Okay. You want to tease it a little bit? What's the topic or no? Um, I don't know. Well, the topic. Yeah, I do know the topic. I'm sorry. I thought you said title. Um, I've had some pretty interesting experiences on both sides. Uh, I have had a great career with Kroger, but if I was to sit here and not reflect that I've had challenges in my career, that'd just be a lie. Uh, and, and I know exactly when it was and where it was. And I've had so many, I've talked to many people about it. Uh, and it, I know it was the grace of God that got me through it. Uh, and it was the grace of God that got me through many segments in my life. Um, and so I, I know there's a book in me on leadership and there's a book in me around how do you rise up to certain situations that clearly, unequivocally are stacked against you. And I'm sure my story isn't too more unique than anybody else who's been blessed to to ascend to that level of leadership in a major company. Gotcha. It'd be interesting to read, I'm sure. We we all have a very unique story. Um, I actually yeah. thought about writing a book too. I've I've got some stories, trust me. But um, yeah, yeah, I thought about that myself. All right. Well, brother, honorable brother Crystal. Um, before we go, I want to give, like I do all my guests, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you have anything to promote, anything you want to talk about or wrap up with, um, feel free to do so. Well, I don't really have anything to promote, uh, but obviously 
one of the things you and I have in common, and that is the greatness of Phi Beta Sigma fraternity. Um, 39 years I've been blessed to be a member of the organization, but more importantly, the last four years I've been blessed to lead it. And um, what a great honor, what a great privilege. Only 34 people have had an opportunity uh, to sit at the top of this great fraternity. And so in about two and a half weeks, I get to preside over our international conference. I get an opportunity to celebrate successes of yesterday, but more importantly, I get to talk about what the future looks like for Phi Beta Sigma. And so excited about that, uh, excited for the members who are listening, uh, looking forward to you engaging, whether it be in person or virtual, uh, because we have so much that we should be proud of in our fraternity. The phrase I'm using as we exit is, it's a great time to be a Sigma. And the reason it's a great time to be a Sigma is when you look at where we are and then you imagine what the future looks like and then understanding the critical role that you member, because I believe that's where the action is. You member the critical role you're gonna play in setting the stage for that. So I'm as excited as I was on August of, uh, excuse me, July of 2017 as I am gonna be on August of 2021. And so thank you for giving me an opportunity to kind of reflect on that, Dave. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to kind of share on some critical subjects and wishing you the best of luck as you continue to navigate through your podcast. Uh, thank you, uh, Brother Crystal, for, for joining. And again, or not again, but for the first time, at least uh, before two and a half weeks from now, when it's said and you know in person to your face, so thank you for your leadership and all that you've done the last four years and friendship and brotherhood. So want to congratulate you on what I consider a successful tenure and, and leading Phi Beta Sigma into the next steps. And um, just want to thank you for coming on Dave's head. All right. So was that in your head, near your head, or just <laughs> part of your head? Uh, it's, just, it's, it's, it's all in my head. It's all the stuff <laughs> that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. So awesome. we'll be back with our headers hangups right after this. Hey, headers. Yeah, I didn't coin the phrase, I know. During my podcast, you'll notice that between segments, you hear commercials. Kind of like this one. The commercials are either paid sponsorships or promotional for people who support my podcast. Well, I like to provide that same opportunity to all my headers. If you like and support, well, technically, you don't have to like it, I guess. But I mean, it's kind of weird and somewhat creepy if you don't like my podcast, but you're still faithfully listening to it. Anyway, if you at least listen to my podcast i like to offer you the opportunity to advertise on it. Now, before you say it, there's no cost. Hashtag free. If you have a charity or community event or anything going on where you're paying it forward, shoot me an email with a summary and the key info and I'll do all the rest for you. Or, you know what, get creative and do a 30 second ad yourself and send it to me. Either way, send it to davesheadpod at gmail.com. Let's spread the news about great things together. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. Before we move forward, I want to thank the Honorable Brother Michael E. Crystal, the 35th International President of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated for joining us in Dave's head. Thank him so much for stepping in Dave's head and just dropping gems, just dropping gems. Look forward to, I'm sure he looks forward more than I do, but look forward to the wrapping up of his presidency and legacy being set in stone. 
and all of us getting together in a couple weeks to celebrate as Sigma Men do. With season two of Dave's Head, I started a new segment called Headers Hangups, an opportunity for you to submit topics and questions for me to discuss and answer during the episode. Generally, I'll choose one to two hangups depending on how in-depth they are and how crazy they're not. With that, there are two for this episode. The first one is this. If you could change any historical event, which one would you change and why? So I, I told you guys many times, I don't think about the answer to this. I do pick the questions ahead of time, but I don't think of the answer until literally when I'm recording right now. So I haven't actually thought of an event, but what I would say that pops into mind, if I could change any one event, it would be the assassination of MLK. Here's why I say, and that's why, I, this is why the, that event popped in my head first. I think civil rights and the civil rights movement could have used an elder throughout history. Now, I don't know if MLK would still be alive today, but the influence he would have had live would be far stronger than him in death, I think. Now, I think memorializing, taking his words, his ideology, his leadership, his lessons, and moving the civil rights movement forward with that, brothers like our Honorable John Lewis, um, and so many others, Jesse Jackson, who've picked up the mantle in his place. I think elongating his leadership longer through time would have impacted and benefited this country and its people far more than in his death. Now, I think, you know, people age, people die. He may not be alive today, but I think his influence would have transcended into more generations than it did. I'm not saying that generations today don't value MLK, and MLK is Martin Luther King Jr. I should give the name, the, the due credit it deserves, and respect it deserves. Um, I'm not saying generations today don't honor and respect Dr. King. I think it would have been easier to see. It'd be more prevalent in a public space. I also think a lot of the violence you see, and I don't like using this term black and black violence because there's no such thing as black and black violence the way it's portrayed in, the, in certain medias because there's white and white violence too. I mean, the, the death rates of people who kill people in the areas they are to like 80 something percent. Another topic for another day. I think his influence on the younger generation would be more prevalent and lasting and he would have stretched across more generations as motivation, as guidance than with his death in 1968. And so if I could change any one event, it would be to not have Dr. King be assassinated. I think he also would have had a bigger influence on those who held tightly to color and race and racism and privilege and supremacy. I think when you have someone with his ideology, peace, acceptance, equality, and the way his message was delivered, over time that influenced even the coldest and hardest hearts. And so from 1968 on, it was recordings. But think about if, if you have elders in your life still, have a conversation with them about MLK and even the people who hated black people, Negroes who 
melted a little bit of their cold heart because of Dr. King's influence. And think about how that could transcend over time with him being alive and repeatedly de delivering that message and repeatedly reaching out for equality. Think about that. So I think his influence alive would have spread further and had more impact over time. Just think about this. There are people today that don't like the fact that there's a, a big statue of MLK in D.C. Or that MLK boulevards exist. Or that there's MLK Day. Which, by the way, I talked about this a couple episodes ago about the history of MLK Day and how states, some states rejected it. A Super Bowl was lost because of it for a state. Go back and check that episode out. But just think about if he was alive, how that message would have kept going and the impact legislatively, society-wise. The impact of someone alive can vary, have greater impact, less impact, change over time, as opposed to a message on a recording that can be skewed and people can talk about people's personalities and backgrounds they don't have to know the truth or facts but they can just repeat it because they have that live audience they're alive to tell their truths or their blatant lies but if MLK Dr. King was alive it's coming right from him you can't fabricate something I'm saying literally right now so that would be the one event that I would change I think I think also selfishly perhaps in some parallel universe I might have had an opportunity to actually meet Dr. King if he were still alive because I was born in 77 so nine years short of his um, death or nine years after his death I should say I was born so maybe I would have had an opportunity to actually meet him that's the event that would change the second headers hang up is this and it's not really a question but I, I, I chose it anyway just because I was curious um, not that I could get dialogue back and forth with the person who sent us in, but I was just curious. The headers hang up is this just a suggestion. You need more sleep. My immediate response, because sometimes I'm an asshole, is no shit. We all can use more sleep, but me specifically, I average four to five hours a night. I've been averaging that for years. Um, it's my body's used to it. If I get too much sleep, I'm really quite uh, cranky and really tired and I can fully function on like two hours sleep it's it's just me I don't know can't explain it I don't know what it is but philosophically and physiology says I should get more sleep and so I'm gonna take and I talked about this in the opening about not assuming the worst or not preparing for the worst or not bracing for the worst or not doing a 360 thing I'm gonna take this as a statement of current concern hmm, statement of care and concern and say thank you I do appreciate the acknowledgement of my mainly poor sleep habits um, and I do attempt to do better I do take melatonin sometimes when I really want to force myself to get some sleep um, but yeah I this is why I take breaks as well this is why I go away take breaks take trips get a weekend away take a five-day week away you know something like that because recharging for me is laying out and getting some sun or going to an event somewhere, beach, any beach will recharge me. Um, but I acknowledge sleep is also important. And when my body wants sleep, it takes sleep. It doesn't ask me, it takes sleep. I look up and I'm 
10 hours sleep. Like, okay, I guess I needed that. So what I'll say is this, I appreciate the comment. I really do. I know it's from a great place. So I do want to say thank you for that. It is something I'm actively focusing on and actively hope to get to five, six and a half hours of sleep as a norm for me. Eight hours is a recommendation. I know it. I get it. I'm working on it. If you have a headers hang up, feel free to submit any question or topic you'd like me to address or answer, and I'll try to get it on as long as it's not too crazy, because some of y'all are crazy. Coming up, we will have my grin for this episode and our winner of our monthly podcast giveaway. We'll be right back after this. Hey, good people. You may have noticed some cool music playing for this show. That music was provided by DJ Ms. Deluxe. Deluxe represents as one of the top female DJs in Philly. Since 92, she's been spinning in clubs, on the radio, and touring around the country. And now is doing big things as a producer and local promoter under the main event Philly. Check her out on Instagram at DJ Ms. Deluxe. That's D-J-M-Z-D-E-L-U-X-X. And for promotions at the main event Philly. All one word. That's DJ Ms. Deluxe. Doing it since the golden era of music. The 90s, as I like to call it. Thank you for your support and contribution to Dave's Head. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. My favorite, absolute favorite segment of my podcast is my grin, which stands for great reason to be in love with now. My grin for this episode involves an organization, the National Network for Safe Communities, NNSC, an internationally recognized action research center at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Their mission is to create safer communities. You can get to them at nnscommunities.com all one word, dot org. Their guiding principles are very, six principles. Number one is do no harm. When you think about the phrase do no harm, criminal justice is a strong medicine. And I'm pulling some of this directly from their website. It can help, but apply too heavily or in the wrong way, it can hurt. There's countless stories of the criminal justice system not really being just or fair and so how you apply punishment rehabilitation how you handle the community you are sworn to serve and protect or protect and serve I always forget the order there um, really impacts how the community looks at you it can be very very strongly wielded but will that get the safe community that we all desire the reason I'm talking about this to step back for a second is you all know if you listen to my podcast at all that the closest metropolitan area to me is Philadelphia but you go across this country and big city after big city and small town after small town violence is a big problem right now and so I opened up my segment with my guest the Honorable Michael E. Crystal talking about paying it forward and giving back and so that's why I'm touching on the National Network for Safe Communities with my grin there's an opportunity to partner with them join them work for them because they're actually hiring 
and do something to impact the communities to make them actually safer. Their second principle is strengthen community capacity to prevent violence. Community norms and actions, not law enforcement, do most of the work of crime control. I grew up in a time where we had a thing called the village. It's not very prevalent today, but we had it back when I grew up. If I did something wrong in the neighborhood, one of my neighbors would take care of me, and I'm just describing it as take care of me, take me home, and then my parents, or an elder, if my parents weren't home, would take care of me again. And if my parents were home, they'd take care of me again when they got home. You just got it until it got to your parents. Like, it just kept getting, yeah. But there's not a big village concept anymore. You know, ridiculing and taking care of the neighborhood, structure, discipline, stopping things that youth and young children and even young adults do in the neighborhoods isn't being handled by the village anymore. And so when there's no safeguard there from the village, you're growing up wild and free, doing what you want to do, good and bad. That community's strength to quell violence, to keep it limited, because there's going to be violence no matter what. But there's different types of violence. There used to be a street code. Go way, way back, talk to the elder. No women, no children. There used to be all types of no reckless gunshots and shootouts and none of that stuff. If you did wrong, it's me and you. You take care of it. I'm not going to shoot up your house. I'm not going to just shoot up the block when there's a block party. There's not a big code that's being executed and followed anymore. But a big part of that is because there's not a big village anymore. And so one of the things NSC does, and one of their principles, is strengthening the community's capacity to prevent that violence themselves. The third is enhanced legitimacy. Most people, they say, obey the law because it's the right thing to do. Not because they're afraid of being arrested. I might slightly debate that. Police should conduct themselves in ways that model their caring and respect for the communities they serve. Where legitimacy goes up, crime goes down. Now, I will say I agree with the premise of this principle, mainly because good cops do good police work in the communities and in turn have good relationships that foster safer, less violent communities. Legitimacy is a big part of that. Legitimacy, legitimacy says you're a good cop. Your precinct is, is full of good cops. You do good police work. You're watching out for me and I'm watching out for you. Together, we're watching out for this community. In turn, I legitimize, legitimize, I legitimize your intent in this neighborhood, in this community, because I ultimately trust that you have my best interest in heart. You're not trying to plant stuff on me. You're not trying to frisk me for no reason. You're not trying to stop and frisk. You're not trying to racial profile. You're not trying to do any of these things. You're trying to serve and protect or protect and serve because I always get it wrong. You're trying to serve and protect. Do your job based on the oath you swore as a good person trying to do in good, good things in this community. You're legitimizing your role in this community and I'm legitimizing what I see as who you are. And that builds trust, that builds partnerships, that builds so many things to foster a safe, good community. Getting out of the car, walking the beat, talking to neighbors, making a presence, saying this neighborhood that I'm responsible for is not gonna be violent. It's not gonna be a problem for the people who simply just wanna go about their lives. People don't wanna have to worry about getting shot walking to the corner store. 
People don't have to worry about getting shot, having a block party, or relatives coming to town. People just want to live their lives generally, happy, free, and enjoy life. The next principle they subscribe to is offer help to those who want it. Many of the people at risk or at the highest risk for violent victimization or offending do not like how they're living and want a way out. Communities should meet them where they are and do everything possible to support them. This is true. Some people live in communities for 30, 40, 50 plus years, don't have the means or motive to relocate. Should they just remain victims of their surroundings, victims of their community, victims of violence? No. In order to help them, all the things I talked about already have to be established. Your motive, your your foundation to do no harm, strengthening the community's capacity to prevent their own violence. Your legitimacy has to be established. Then you can go into those communities and listen to the elders, listen to the people who don't have the means and motive to relocate or to even personally stop that violence. But you have to have their back. If they come to you as a policing organization saying these people are bad actors in my community, they have to know that you'll have their back. That you won't just walk away once you get a minor conviction or a couple convictions. You'll still be there in the neighborhood making sure it stays violent free or violent limited at least tomorrow, the next day, the next month, and the next year. Offer help to those who want it doesn't just mean I'll take your information, we'll get one guy arrested, we're going to move on. It means I'm going to listen to your concerns, help you identify the bad actors, get them out of your community whether it be relocated or arrested so that you can live a safe, worry-free, stress-free life. That's what's important to elder people. They can't just pick up and move as freely as someone sort of kind of young, even those grays don't really tell a tale, but someone as young as me. The next to last principle is get deterrence right. When law enforcement needs to act, it's usually best to let offenders know that enforcement is coming so that they can stop their offending rather than to arrest, prosecute, and incarcerate them. I will say of the six principles that they list on their website, this is the one I kind of differ with the most. There are two ways, and I, I get the concept, there are two ways to think about this. Think about a drug corner in an inner city, drug neighborhood. You can come have a conversation, like, listen, we're about to crack down on this, so you either need to pick up shop and move somewhere else or find a new line of business, line of work. You can give that heads up, and hopefully somehow they'll stop doing what they're doing. They'll go get a GED or get a college degree or go get a job somewhere and change their lives. That could be the result. Most of the time, it's not going to be. It's going to be a battle. It's a war. You're going to have to arrest them. You're going to have to arrest the whole crew. You're going to have to arrest and bring down the whole organization. A lot of times it's like, you know, one head gets chopped off. Here comes another one popping up. And so you have to get all of them. The other side of that is you can give no warning at all. You can post one of those. You ever seen those big police trucks that are kind of like rolling technical machines? You just post that up on their corner right across the street. And say, if you're going to sell in front of us, you're big and bad and bold enough to try to do that or do violence right in front of our truck, then you deserve exactly what you get. But we're going to stop the violence in this neighborhood. We're going to, we're going to post up right here until the violence stops. 
That's the way I prefer. I prefer boots on the ground, businesses hurting, beef quelled, violence ending, and neighbors and communities living a safe and happy life. I'm not a sledgehammer. I'm kind of just like a hammer approach. But it's definitely not going to be, you know, a screwdriver approach. It's definitely a hammer approach for me. The last one, the last principle, use enforcement strategically. And I, I, I definitely agree with this one. Profligate enforcement can have terrible collateral consequences, alienate communities, and undermine legitimacy. Law enforcement should apply the minimum that is compatible with ensuring public safety. Now, some say, you know, come in, boots on the ground, walking shoulder to shoulder until the neighborhood's completely violent free. Take the biggest, most impactful solution you can to quell violence. That may be okay. If you drop a boulder in a river or a lake, it'll make a big splash. But the water just comes right back. Now, if you drop a pebble, it will make a tiny splash and the water will come back as well. But if you throw several medium pebbles, you can kind of create a little canal over time. Using enforcement strategically, to me, means being smart about it. If you think about criminals in general, and I'm not saying it's true about all, because there's a lot of good criminals out there that are really smart, but criminals don't do crime very well. So be smarter than the criminals. Outmaneuver them. Chess, not checkers. You don't have to go in with shields and guns blazing when you can just simply watch and wait and stop. Not saying watch until somebody starts shooting, but learn what they're doing. Learn, you know, one of the movies that are repeating right now on cable is American Gangster. And it's, you know, Denzel stars in it. And, and I forget the, the name of the cop, um, who the actor is, but taking the time to do the work, to tear down these organizations, these gangs, put the work in and keep putting the work in and keep putting the work in until they realize this neighborhood, this community is not gonna take any of it anymore. And the more communities that do that, the less these criminals will have a safe haven to operate and reside. So if you're interested, check out the National Network for Safe Communities, NNSC, you can find them at nnscommunities.org. One stat that I wanna share before I move on to the next part of my grin segment is every single day, seven people die every hour in the United States from violence. Every single day, seven an hour. There's 24 hours in a day. Think about that. 24 hours in a day, seven people an hour. It's over 140 people. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. We all have to do our parts and we have to bring the village back. We do. We have to figure out a way to bring the village back because if we don't, these youth will never understand what it's like to play hopscotch. And we used to call it in, in, in Philly, hot girl, butter bee, come and get your supper. I forget what, what the meaning behind it was. And some of us played catch a girl, freak a girl too. Just saying, you know, we, we did things back in the day. But playing until the streetlights came on as opposed to playing until it got violent. Two completely different raisings of children. And so until we do something about that, it's going to be tough and tough and tough 
for generation after generation after generation with violence. So check them out. The National Network for Safe Communities, NNSC, nnscommunities.org. I want to turn to now my monthly giveaway contest. This month's sponsor is Fitz Wellness. This month's winner will receive the All Malsiness Pack. It contains a creamy pina colada sugar scrub, six ounces, one sea moss soap bar, and a pineapple ginger infused sea moss, which is or sea moss gel, which is also six ounces. We had a good number of contestants this time, and actually, what I did, I actually pulled in some addresses or email addresses from prior contests this year, the first half of this year, and threw them into the batch as well because they also supported the show, supported the giveaways, <clears throat> and also, I think, deserved a fair shot at winning the giveaway. So without further ado, this month's winner is email address that starts with R-O-B. It's a Yahoo email address. I'll be reaching out to you with your winning contest information, and we'll get you your All Mossiness Sea Scrub, or All Mossiness Pack. I will say, I've used the black and mint, I think it was scrub, and it's like a vanilla scrub I've also used. Very, very nice, smooth skin. Yeah, it's really good. So definitely use it, talk about it. How does it work for you? I'm sure Fitz Wellness will like to hear it. I wanna thank Fitz Wellness again for sponsoring this month's giveaway. We've got a great sponsor lined up for next month. We'll talk about next month. I wanna thank the honorable brother, Michael E. Crystal, the 35th international president of Phi Beta Sigma for taking a timeout, as you heard from his very busy life schedule to step into Dave's head. If you want to follow him on Instagram at PBS International, the abbreviation for international president, the abbreviation for president 35. So that's at PBSINTLPRES35. Or if you want to follow him on LinkedIn as well, might give you some great career advice. You never know. So, Trusting yourself, the memory of the legend, Biz Markey. Fitz Wellness and the 35th International President of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, the Honorable Brother Michael E. Crystal. All great reasons to be in love with now. For now, that's what's in Dave's head. Until next time, stay happy and healthy. Like I always say, enjoy life because life should be fun. Thank you for listening and take care.